everyone, and thanks for tuning in. The Turn and Talk podcast is an education-focused podcast that gives you an inside look into today's schools, classrooms, and the minds of educators in the words of real but anonymous classroom teachers and school staff. The mission of Turn and Talk podcast is to give the education mic back to those who actually do the important work of educating our children, the teachers, the school administrators, and the support staff. I'll invite them to our show and ask them questions, and you will hear their responses without filter. One of the reasons why it is so challenging to discuss teaching in schools is that schools are so often very different from each other. This makes it difficult to identify generalizable effective practices. So often what works in one school or classroom doesn't work or work as well in another school or classroom. The interviewee, a math teacher, really made me think about the many disparities among our schools today. The disparity among schools in terms of resources, for example, is one we can eliminate, but For reasons I don't understand yet, we seem to be unable to do so. After you listen to this episode, please do share your thoughts via comments and email. You can contact me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy. Our guest today teaches math. Currently, he teaches at a non-religious private school in a large metropolitan city, and we are so glad to have him share his perspective today with us. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Before we begin, let's hear from you. How did you end up becoming a teacher? Well, I always wanted to be a teacher since when I was a kid. Um, I was always fascinated with school. And um, I remember as a kid, like playing teacher. (laughs) And then as I progressed through high school, I like I really had a lot of respect for what teachers did. And as I learned more about it throughout college and just like seeing what what teachers do and how they're portrayed in the media and in, uh, in society, I was like, I need to do something to help give the teaching profession a better face. And I just, you know, as I l- went through college and learned about philosophy and the history of education, the history of learning, I was like, this is really, really cool. And then it kind of all just fell into place from there. Sounds great. And how long have you been teaching? Uh, it's my sixth year. Wow. And uh, tell us about this transition. I, I know there was a time when you were teaching at a more traditional public school, and now you are at a private school. Uh, tell us yeah. about that transition, how that happened? So it was, it was definitely a culture shock for me. So like I grew up, I went to my local public high school. That's really all I knew. And then I started my student teaching in two public high schools and then started my first three years teaching in, uh, in a public middle school. And the kids overall were good. The support in the school was, was phenomenal. Um, and they, gave a lot of opportunities to the kids, but I didn't realize until I went to the private school that I'm at how much they didn't do for the kids and how much they didn't do for us as teachers. And I find that now in the public in the private school, I've been there for three years now, our kids have so many more opportunities to, to travel abroad and to take classes that they're interested in. And it's almost more like a college setting where they, you know, they get to choose electives they want to take and they get to, like I said before, they get to travel abroad. Like we have kids this year over spring break, they're going to to China and to Italy and to Spain and they get these, you know, world opportunities where they get to see um, different cultures and experience, you know, life. The school that I'm at now also treats teachers with respect. Like they value our opinion. They give us ample opportunity to do professional development. They support any endeavor that we want to do. They take into consideration and they'll they'll help us do whatever it takes to get that done financially and, you know, responsibly with substitutes and stuff like that in the school too. There seems to be a sentiment that some private schools just don't pay teachers enough and they don't also give as many days off summers are shorter has that been your experience also not at all my salary is comparable to what i would make in a public school definitely a little bit lower but comparable but i think the benefits that we get 
far away the, the salary. Like we know we get, we're done like three weeks before the public schools are because we don't do state testing. So where the public schools get out at the end of June, we're done the first week of June. We also get two weeks for the winter vacation every year. We get two weeks for the spring break. We get every every religious holiday off, every federal holiday off. And we also like, they're very generous with um, with their benefits packages. Like they, they cover our health insurance, our life insurance, med- uh, vision, dental, all that kind of stuff. So like it, they, they make up for the salary in other ways. That's good to know. And also you said something about you guys don't do or participate in standardized testing. How does that work? It's not that we don't participate in standardized testing. We just don't do the state the state mandated ones because we're an independent school. So we do our okay. own. We use the ERB and we do it every every December just to, to measure student growth from year to year. So we have some sort of consistent, consistent score throughout the middle school years. And then when they go into the high school, um, we use the PSAT and the SAT as their standardized test. So are you currently teaching math in the middle school part of your school? I'm split middle school, high school. So I oh, teach two, I eighth, two eighth grade classes, a ninth grade, a 10th grade, and 11th grade class. Wow. What's the difference between all those grades, you think? My eighth graders, I teach on an advanced level. So I'm teaching them algebra two in eighth grade, where our, our non-advanced students take it in 10th grade. And then my ninth graders, I teach them geometry, which is very different than public school geometry, for sure. Public school or the state curriculum geometry is very much methodical very much um constructions based and you know not very technology based which is a shame because the technology society that we live in and we tend we use like geometry sketch pad and we try to make it more interactive and more hands-on so for example where in a public school they would have a traditional midterm like a paper and pencil solve these problems figure it out and we give our kids a long-term project that they have to make to kind of make it more more experiential and more more catered to a lot of their the learning styles. Sounds very cool to me. Yeah. Has your perspective on teaching changed in your experience over the years going from public school to private school? Absolutely. Because, you know, we in public school, we were, you know, we had to get through mandated curriculum so that they could do well on the state test at the end of the year. And I often felt that we were doing a disservice to a lot of the kids because we were just, you know, shoving information down their throats and, and telling them to memorize stuff and just so that they, they could pass the test and move on. Versus here, I think that we we do a good job at, at modifying our curriculum. And we also actually do what the Common Core said it was going to go from a mile wide and an inch deep to an inch deep uh, to an inch wide and a mile deep. We teach them how to how to critically think and how to take what we, you know, from what they learned in a prior unit and apply it and see how it connects to what we're doing now versus kind of teaching everything in like different like segmented units. They kind of see the whole story of how things come together in math, which I think is really a neat opportunity for them. Wow. Yeah, that sounds very cool. Not the kind of math that I learned, certainly. You said something earlier about one of the reasons you wanted to become a teacher was, you know, constantly hearing about how teachers are being treated or how teachers are talked about. What is your experience like? What do you think? How are teachers being talked? about how are teachers treated and are you satisfied with the way teachers are perceived and talked about in the I guess media and, and in general um, I think teachers are treated very unfairly when it comes to how policymakers and how the media portrays us because I know with the people that I worked with and the people that I currently work with you know we we dedicate ourselves to this to this profession and to the kids that we teach and a lot of what politicians put on us and what a lot of what the media puts on us and how we're portrayed to the, the country and the world is that you know we only work nine months out of the year and that we have weekends off and holidays off and so much time off. But what people don't understand is that though we might have summers off and we have that that luxury that a lot of people don't, is that you know we put in a 15 to 16 hour day, five days a week for those nine months that we're there. So yes, we work less days, but we work more hours per day. So it balances out. And of course, there's exceptions to those rules. There's the teachers that break by and want to do the bare minimum. And that's, that's, that's their prerogative. But I think the majority of the, the people that go into teaching do it for the right reason.
and that's dedicating themselves to these kids. My experience is similar, though. I haven't met people who are just sitting in the front of the classroom while kids are just doing whatever. I don't think I've ever met such a teacher, but obviously they existed, but I do think they're exceptions. So, so talk about some of the frustrations that are related to the work of teaching that you might have or you might have experienced in the past. When I worked in, in the public school, I was always worried about parents and how I was going to be perceived by them and what issues might arise Because as a you know as a young teacher who didn't have tenure and who really had no prior experience those are the things you worry about and you know you want to make a good reputation for yourself with the kids and administration and parents and doing that on top of on top of learning how to teach and and make a curriculum and you know just figure your life out it's it's overwhelming but I think now as a more experienced teacher in a completely different setting the thing I worry about most is am I teaching to the best of my ability and have I have I taken what I've learned from my experiences and new information that I've learned throughout the years to be the best teacher that I can be, to inspire these kids to, to one, to want to come to school, and to two, to inspire a love of learning more than anything. My philosophy is if I can get you to enjoy learning and you'll learn as much math as I want you to, then I did my job. Because mm -hmm. it's not, I don't expect them to go and use the quadratic formula every day of their life, but I expect them to be open to learning new things and to be able to think about those things. What do you think about teacher evaluation? And then how do you know you're doing a great job or not? So in the public school, we had the state rubric for teacher evaluation, which when I first started was very intimidating because it sounds, you know, they use all these big fancy words and the rubric was kind of confusing and we weren't quite sure what we were being evaluated on. Brandon and I always scored pretty well. There's always room for improvement, but there was never usually a, a follow-up conversation as to what that rubric said. It was kind of like you read the comments and you move on and you take it with a grain of salt. And it was always the same person who observed me. So like my principal in the public school was always the one to come and see my lessons and kind of critique me in that way. My chairperson never did it, an AP never did it, a superintendent never did it. So in one way it's good because that one person gets to see you grow and how you implement their, their suggestions over time. But then the bad part of that is that it's one person who determines your fate as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And in the public school, and uh, the private school, sorry, I like the, the way they do it better. In public school, it was kind of like a punitive thing. Like, you know, if you don't score well, then you get fired. Versus in the, the private school that I'm in now, we only get evaluated our first two years. So we get six observations in those three in those first two years and it's all done by we get three by our chairperson two by our academic dean and one from the head of school so wow. you get three different three different perspectives on how you're getting evaluated but unlike the public school here it's it's not done to punish you or to help to fire you it's done to help you grow as a professional so like each column on the rubric that they're they're choosing not only do they give you like detailed evidence of what you did they give you suggestions on what you could improve upon and then you have a meeting after each observation with the person that observed you and we have a conversation about you know about what went well what could have gone better and what can we do to help you improve this uh, is what teaching one of the reasons why teaching is so unique as a profession because there aren't a lot of other professions there might be some where someone comes in and watches you <laughs> for, a, for a couple of hours or an hour to see how you're doing and then offer you an evaluation or a score based on how you perform during that one hour chunk of right. time. What you're describing, in a way, it sounds very supportive, but in a way, it also sounds a bit overwhelming. Which one is it for you? Is it a bit of both? How do teachers feel about this system? I know when I first went, I was like, I'm going to get observed by the, the head of school on my my second month at the school. I was, I was nervous, but once I learned the culture of the school and how it was so not targeted to get you, like it was a lot easier to go into these observations. Like I used to freak out and make sure I had 
had perfect lesson with all the correct activities and all that kind of stuff. But now, like, they just want to see what you do on a daily basis. And if you're doing the right thing, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's a better way to look at it. I think a lot of early career teachers often find these observations very overwhelming because you want to do everything right. So what would your advice be to a teacher who's getting observed and is feeling very nervous about it? I would say, you know, you have every reason, every right and every reason to be nervous, especially, you know, if your job is depending on it. But all in all, like, if they hired you, they hired you for a reason because you, you know, probably had a good demo lesson and you interviewed well and you know your stuff. So do, you know, make a good lesson for your observation, but don't go over the top. Don't do something you wouldn't normally do because they could drop it at any time. And if they see you putting on a show for your observation and then versus what you normally do in the classroom, it could be not harmful, but they, they're, they're not going to forget that. I really love your advice of doing what you do, but do it well and just focusing on small things and making sure that all the basics and all the fundamentals are sound, but not trying to do something that you've never done before because when you surprise students, the students will surprise you too. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing that advice. There is still a lot of conversation about what's wrong with education. There's a lot of people who just hear about, you know, how the country's children are doing on certain tests and reading and, and writing and math now too. So all three of these subjects often have this special thing attached to them because they're tested and a lot of people who are not involved in education as educators themselves, they use that data as the primary indicator of how we as a nation are doing in terms of learning. Do you think our nation's schools aren't doing a great job? I think, well, first of all, I think standardized testing, you know, that we report is important. However, I think that the way we do it here versus how it's done overseas and abroad is different. So like we test everyone and we were high students, medium students, uh, low achieving students, students with disabilities. We, you know, we test all of them and we report all those scores put together versus countries abroad. A lot of them only test and report scores for the highest achieving students. So I think to compare what we do here to what they do over there and how their schools are doing is an unfair comparison. And I think also other countries value education a lot more than we do as a society here. Like kids in, in Japan, they go to school for 10, 11 hours a day and they're taught completely different values and completely different ways of learning. Like they're taught that they're taught to respect the school and respect the teacher and respect the process of learning. But they're also taught to respect the place where they go to school. Like they have to, you know, they take responsibility for the school. They they don't rely on janitors. Kids take time and they clean up their school grounds and they, you know, they do things that our kids are not expected or, or forced to do. I just think all of it stems from the value that we place on it. In your own estimation, do you feel that there isn't a major problem or there is a major? What are some things that we could do better if there were any? Um, I think that it would be good from the student perspective to have kids have to have like a community service requirement to graduate so that they know what it's like to give back and to see you know that not everything is always sunshine and rainbows in, the, in, in life. I know at our, my school now our ninth graders and 10th graders have a community service requirement. Ninth graders have to do six hours a semester. Juniors ha uh, sophomores have to do five hours a semester anywhere in the community in which they live or for our school and they I think they gain a valuable perspective from working at a food pantry or setting up a coat driver, a, a canned food driver, something like that to help those who are less fortunate than them versus in the public school where I used to work. And the only reason that kids in community service was to get into the National Honor Society or something like that. It's not because they, they wanted to do it. It's because they were, they had an incentive. Hmm. So the previous school where you worked at was a school in a suburban neighborhood and now you're in a more urban setting. Is that, is that right? Yep. So to connect back to what you were saying earlier, there's still a lot of teachers leaving the profession. Today, 
I read an article that someone else shared on social media. And the first line of this article is a staggering 41% of city teachers hired during the 2012 and 13 school year left the system during the first five years on the job. Why is that, do you think? I think if they are city public school teachers in New York, I think it's because of the complete lack of adequate funding and the ever rising, well, I think it's a lot of different things. I think it's, there's a lack of funding. Teacher salaries are decent in the city, which is, I think, an incentive to stay and the benefits you get are good, but it's hard to teach a class of 35 to 40 kids in a classroom that's meant to hold 20. It's hard to teach kids 21st century skills as it's quoted by Common Core when you don't have basic school supplies, when you can't, don't have pencils and pencil, uh, pens and pencils and paper and computers that fully function and, and like a smart board and a projector and stuff to help make it more interactive and more, more realistic for them when they don't have basic necessities. And a lot of the kids in, in the city that go to public schools come from less affluent areas. A lot of them have, have hard home lives and they bring those issues with them to school if they show up to school at all. So I totally understand why, why teachers would leave the city public school system because it's not, you know, the salary is great, but if you're unhappy with the way that, the way that you're treated and the, you know, the kids that you have to teach and bearing the issues that come with those kids, it's hard. My, my cousin worked in, in the public, in New York City public schools and she transferred schools four times in five years just because of poor leadership and stuff like that. She's happy with what the kids think, you know, thankfully, but a lot of that comes from administration too. And that was my next question. How much do you feel is the school leader and school leadership responsible for how teachers feel and how teachers do on their job? I think a lot of how the teachers are and how the school culture perpetuates comes from administration. If teachers feel like they're supported from people who are evaluating them and supposed to be there supporting them, like if they have a one, a positive relationship with them and two, feel that they're supported in their in their academic, social, emotional, and all those kind of goals and endeavors, that I think that administration can determine school culture from the teacher side, which then also spirals down to student culture and student happiness because if the teachers are happy, then chances are the kids are going to be happy. So I know from the school that I came from, the, the public school, overall administration was good, but then the last the last six months, they had a lot of turnover when they brought in administrators who were less teacher-centered and more more fiscally centered and more, more business-like. And the, the culture of the school changed big time, which is one of the reasons I chose to leave. And I feel like the school that I'm at now, you know, we, like I said before, you know, they focus on making sure that we have everything we need, everything that we can want to grow and to teach and to, to support our kids in any way that they can and that we can. And I think overall, our teachers in school I'm at now are much happier than the teachers that I was am friends with from my old school. But what I hear now, it's just not the same place. You've mentioned teacher growth a couple of times. What has your professional development experience been like overall in your career? Are you satisfied with the kind and quality of professional development that math teachers get? Or do you have different opinions about it? In the public school, I didn't wasn't offered the opportunity to go to many conferences or any adequate professional development just because it wasn't a primary focus for them. But in the school that I'm at now, you know, they off offer us the opportunity to go to national conferences like the NTTM conference. My first year there, I got to go to the regional conference in, in DC. And just to be able to, uh, to network with other people from across the country and learn about what they're doing, you know, you spread ideas and you get to know what other other teachers and other states and what they're doing. Like you get to bring invaluable ideas back to your own classroom. And there's like anything you want to do. So like I'm in I'm in a graduate program right now, and you know the school provides financial assistance to teachers that are going for graduate work throughout the school year and then over wow. the summer. 
that they have a separate grant that they give money to. So I feel like, you know, if there's also like if there's a, a speaker that we want to bring in for the whole faculty to, to learn from, they'll do that no problem. Like you submit a proposal and then it's usually approved within a week. We need time to do curriculum planning and development. We get the time, we get subs and we get paid for the day and they do whatever we need to, to better ourselves. They take care of, which I feel like for a lot of schools is unheard of. Yeah, that does sound rare to me too in my experience. So would you happy teachers, satisfied teachers will likely impact student performance more than anything else? Absolutely. I just thinking back to when I was in high school, there were certain teachers that you wanted to have and certain teachers that you didn't want to have. And the teachers that you, that, you know, at least that I wanted to have were the ones who were excited to come to work every day and have extra help every day and who would, you know, speak to you as if you were a person and not just another another kid in the room. And those are the teachers that were there early and that stayed late. And the teachers that, you know, you didn't want to have so much were the ones that showed up 10 minutes late every day and, you know, left when the bell rang at the end of the day and didn't really want to get to know you. So if like if you have happy teachers who want to come to work and are inspired to work with kids, I mean, that's where it comes from. Related to that, what does it take to be a really good math teacher? It takes a lot of patience. It takes it takes dedication. And I think, you know, you have to get to, I guess, for any content area, really, you need to get to know who your kids are. You need to get to know who they are, what they like, and how you can best teach to all of them at the same time. And that, if you're a new teacher listening, you know, that comes with experience. So I think that it comes down to, to forming relationships. And that's that's where it comes from first. Like our first week of school, we don't, I don't really teach a lot of math. We do a lot of, a lot of team building, a lot of get to know you stuff. And then it kind of falls into place from there. This is our last question. We're also right at the end of it. If you could wave a magic wand to strengthen our school's education, anything related to education, what would you change? What would you do? It's a good question. I would make sure that all schools are, are treated the same, meaning that that money wasn't even an issue. There's such a disparity between neighboring school districts where, where I'm from. We have one one school district that has multi-million dollar homes and has all the, the resources they can want in the school. And then right next door, across the street, there's a school district where they can't make copies for the kids. They don't have pens and pencils to give them. I think that ultimately, if our goal is to help improve society and to you know to get out of the, the cycle that we're in, we need to give schools the opportunity to help all students from all neighborhoods to to do their job. If there's schools that are struggling just to just to get copy paper and there's other mm-hmm. schools that, you know, they're toying with building a second football field, you know, that's a huge, huge inequity right there. Yeah. Um so I think making, you know, all the schools equitable would be my my goal. Wow. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. On that note we're gonna wrap up the interview, but there is a special segment that is the rapid fire questions. They're not really questions. I'm gonna quickly throw words or phrases at you related to education and you should respond with whatever comes to mind first. Sound good? Yeah. All right. So first one, here we go. Homework. Has value, but the way we do it should be tweaked. Differentiation. Necessary, but (laughs) challenging and takes experience. Yes, for sure. Education research. Important and most of the time overlooked. Photocopy machines. Usually broken, should be faster. (laughs) Yes, and color should always be an automatic option. Great. All right. Standardized tests. Uh, um, important, usually not made developmentally appropriate, and uh, results are usually interpreted out of context and poorly. SATs. SATs usually mean nothing. <laughs> okay. A teacher's life. Teacher's life, chaos, a lack of balance, <laughs> but at the same time, rewarding and what I live for. Great. Public schools. Public schools are a backbone of 
of American society, and they form the foundation for everything else we do in life. Okay, education technology. Expensive, but if used correctly, has the power to transform the way students learn. And this is our last one, math teachers. The best people in the world. <laughs> All right, on that note, man, thank you so much. It was so insightful to hear your perspective. I appreciate it very much. Of course, thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, bye-bye. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turnandtalkpodcast. If you haven't subscribed, yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please please email us at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in this is your host jay mcsuits signing out peace